This is our second part, but if you missed part one, it is helpful to know why this parable has been taught by the Lord Jesus, but this will be a completely different message, so you haven't missed it as such. And if you want, at some point, it's online. It's, there are CDs along here. You're free to take them. Take as many as you want off them. Uh, Martin has copied them, so they're free to go out just, just along that rack after church. Lift them and just take them with you and give them to people. Or I'd like to see the rack emptied, wouldn't we, Martin? I'd like to see the rack empty. Just empty that rack of CDs there. And as long as you give them out, that's the main thing. And as Pastor McConnell used to say, when we were doing flyers for some of the missions, he says, if you take the flyers and you don't give them out, he says, they're going fire, he says, after the mission is over and they'll burn your house down, so you better get them out. <laughs> so you can take them as long as you give them out. Uh, the Lord bless you. Um, let's read then just this evening from verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, that was last week's message. And the reason why the Lord Jesus now is telling the parable we're about to read of the Good Samaritan is because this man was a lawyer of the Word of God or of the law, of the rabbinical law and the Mosaic law. He should have known. And he comes looking to be saved by doing, by religion by keeping, by serving. And Christ is saying, no, what does the law say? How are you reading it? And then he gives this parable. We looked at it last week. Let's move on, please. Verse 30. Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him, that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thy likewise. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we ask you now in the name of the Lord Jesus that you, Lord, would use my lips and my mouth to glorify your Son. 
that you would take me up as it were in the spirit and speak through me thus and thus saith the Lord from your own divine inspired and precious word. We ask you, God, by this evening's over, we pray, Lord, that your people will be instructed and taught. So give us, Lord, teachable spirits and listening ears and open hearts. And we pray, O God, tonight that your church would be built up, edified. And Lord, if there's one or some in our meeting tonight that does not yet know the Lord Jesus as their own Lord and personal Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would reach them and save their soul for time and eternity. Lord, this evening, we pray, would you speak? Speak loud and clear in the only way that you know how to and in the only way you can. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would bless and encourage this people for being here this evening. Bless those who are watching and those who are watching later. We pray for them, Lord, for their their blessing of their homes and their hearts. Even, Lord, as we're going through this service, may they experience and know the Word of God and know the touch of the Master's hand. To that end, glorify your Son and help me to rightly divide this Word of truth. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Verse 25, we have a certain lawyer. A certain lawyer. He comes to the Lord Jesus. Then from verses 30 to verse 37, we have a certain man. We have a certain priest. And then there's a Levite comes, and then we have a certain Samaritan. I love the way it says in verse 33, after we have a certain man, a certain priest, then comes a Levite, it says, but but a certain Samaritan. And I love the way the Spirit has placed it into our reading that we can understand that even though we have been like the man on the Jericho Road, that we know this certain Samaritan representing the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can say, yes, there may have been a certain priest, a certain even Levite, so to speak, but there was a certain Samaritan who came to rescue me and to save my soul. Notice this certain man went down. Notice the language went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now the Jericho road, I'm told it was a a dangerous road. It was a treacherous road to travel down, especially alone, especially by yourself. And this man, he travels down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm told that in certain times in, in, in Israel, what happened was that those who were traders and went up and down this road, they then, and other travelers, they then had to use more uh, mountainous regions and back roads because that which was uh, evil in the thieves and the robbers and murderers and those who would want to do harm, I'm told that they actually took over the open space of the road to Jericho. And hence the people who were looking just for their everyday living to do right and to do good, what happened was they had to start going outside and trying to get around other directions. This makes me think of our very land today, how that which was once hidden where the thieves were, where the robbers were, in the back streets, you know all the the back entries as we call them in Belfast, the 
the back streets and the back entries was where all the illicit things happened. All the, all the sinful things happened. It was never out in the main street and in broad daylight. And now, you and I who are believers in the Word of God, we are the ones, as it were, who have been pushed off the highway and the robbers and the thieves and the murderers and the so-ons and the so-ons and those who live illicit lifestyles are now in the main street. They are in the main road and they have taken over, as it were, through all of the liberalism and all the things that has come into our nation. And you and I, traveling as believers even at this time, may find ourselves among thieves and in a place of danger. Such has come our land, our nation, and even our streets. But notice this, verse 25, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. What I love about these things is this, and we can just brush past it and miss it all together, and this is it. From Jerusalem to Jericho went down. Went down. Even the Holy Spirit who places it into the quill of Luke to write this. He even tells us the very topography and the geography of the land, how Jerusalem was high and Jericho was low, and hence traveling down. Even the details of saying this in one single word, down, down. This man went down to Jericho. Here's what I've written. First of all, God knows where you are just as he knew where this certain man was. God knows where you are just as he knows and knew where this certain man was. Now, this man represents certain things. First of all, he represents Adam's race, the fall in the garden. We spoke about it again this morning. Adam's race. Here it shows how we became depraved in our nature since Adam fell in the garden. And so we went down, as it were, from the presence of God, from the Jerusalem, as it were, of God. We went down. We went on a downward trend into the downwardness of sin and depravity. So God knows where you are in your heart tonight. And God knows where I am in mine. Maybe your heart has fallen among thieves. Maybe your heart has been broken sore by certain ones, certain people, and certain things, and no one knows really your heart, but there's a certain Samaritan. There's a certain man called Jesus who knows you. He knows where you are, the condition you are in, he knows your heart, and he knows whether you're saved or not, or whether you're a child of his who strayed away from, as it were, the Jerusalem presence of God, and you've fallen away. You're heading toward Jericho, to dangerous territory, dangerous land. But thank God, he says, but a certain Samaritan. He comes to where the man was, and he comes to where you and I are. This represents Adam's race as we are going through time from Eden, as it were, the Jerusalem, if you want, the presence of the Lord. It represents 
scattered Israel on migration. And it shows throughout the nations how they have been battered and beaten and thieved upon, and of course robbed and so on. And it speaks of every one of us in an individual sense, what sin has done in our lives from Adam right the whole way through until we were saved. So hence this man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Secondly, God knew the condition of this man, but first of all, God knows when you're away from him. You can fool the pastor. You can fool the elders. You can fool the oversight. You can fool your friends. You can fool the fellow Christians. And you maybe fool them for a while. But suddenly, it will come out. And God knows the condition of every man and woman's heart. He knew the condition of this man on the Jericho Road, and he knew he was away from his presence. He knew he was away from Jerusalem, from the temple, and he knows when you are away from him, he knows the condition of all of our hearts. This man's departure from God led to his great trouble. This man's departure away from God led to this man's great trouble. And I can tell you, Christian, maybe the, the, the field seems so green of the world, of the Jericho that's out there. It seems so green to you that maybe this Christian life, well, there's trouble in it and the robbers are on the main street and I have to try and walk through it. But I can tell you something, brother. I can tell you something, sister. If you were to listen tonight to the Word of God, here's what it says. God says you're in danger walking away from his presence. And I can tell you something tonight, friend. You will find no joy nor happiness, but trouble and strife, and the world will rob you. There are thieves and there are robbers who want to steal, to kill, and to destroy in the name of their master, Satan. But God wants to give you life and life more abundantly. Maybe you're falling away in heart Maybe you're falling away in person, in thought and in mind, and even coming to fellowship with God's people. Listen to the word of the Lord. This man left the presence of God to go down to Jericho, to the cursed city. He didn't even get there before the thieves got the hold of him. He didn't even get there before the thieves got the hold of him. You know, many people think, I'll live how I want. I'll do what I want. I'll live how I please. And I'll maybe call in the name of Jesus at the end of it all before I, I take my last breath. I can tell you something, friend. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. But if you are to live long, I can tell you, and I can just say to you tonight, I want to speak into your heart. You're not promised tomorrow. But if God gives you length of days, thinking that you will call on him some other time. The thieves and the robbers are willing and ready to attack you now, to take your soul, to pull you down, to hold you back in order to leave you, as it were, half dead. The, the vices of the world, of drink and of drugs and all the things that seem so great in Jericho, seem so wonderful in Jericho, they're there tonight. Oh, you can go and take them. 
You can go and taste them. You can go and try them and even think you'll handle them. But I'll tell you, they will take hold of you rather than you take hold of them. And those seas will hold you and you'll be half dead as it were. Dead toward God. And the other half of you will just about be living. This man fell among thieves which stripped him. Notice the terminology here. Stripped him. Shamed him. This man became a shame because the thieves tore all of his clothing. It means they told, they stripped him naked, left him at the side of a road, and all others were passing by looking at a naked body, bleeding, battered, and bruised. Can you imagine this man, what he was thinking, leaving Jerusalem, the presence of God? I'll go down here. And as I go down here, I'm thinking of Jericho, sure. Who'll know from Jericho for a wee week, eh? Who knows whenever I'm away having my secret sessions? Who knows when I'm away doing the secret things? Jericho is a place where I can hide and none will know. And when I've had my fool, I will travel back up to Jerusalem again, present the offering. To present the offering. I'm sure won't life be all right then? He didn't even get to Jericho. The thieves of the world destroyed his life. And I can tell you tonight, the thieves of this world will destroy yours too. Will destroy yours too. So notice this, as I've just briefly mentioned. He was half dead. Notice what it says, if you will, in verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho, and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. I thought about this. I don't know how many times I've read this and I know it says half dead. It just caught me, caught me and I thought, well, he's half dead, which means he's half alive. Has to be, there's life there. He's half dead, but it means he's half alive. And hence, when I was writing this, I thought this, and I, and I remembered this. This gives the idea that we are dead in our nature toward God, but yet we're living. God has allowed us and afforded us life. Life that's meant to be for his glory and to enjoy him forever. And instead of that, we, we enjoy the privileges of the Jericho. We, we yearn in the flesh and, and they want, and many want the Jericho. I used to live in Jericho. Not literally now, but I used to live in Jericho. I used to wander the streets of Jericho. I used to love Jericho. Loved everything about Jericho. And one day I was walking toward Jericho and there the thieves of the world got hold of me and left me half dead. Half dead in the abuses of the world and half dead with the vices of the world, half dead in the sins of the world. And there I was, as it were, stripped naked of all things, took everything from me 
I lost everything. It took it from me. The thieves had robbed me. And I had no hope, half dead, lying at the side of the road. But there was a certain Samaritan, you see. The Lord Jesus Christ came when none could help me. You see, he helps the helpless. He rescues those who are unrescuable. He saves the hopeless. He restores those who are far away from him and in a state of death and depravity. He heals the broken heart and he binds up the wounds. You see, he was half dead, but he was half alive. This is what I've written. In every situation, remember this. Where there is life, there is hope. If there is a spark, there is a chance of a fire. Where there is a spark, there is a chance of a fire. They left him half dead. That's him done with now. He's nothing more to give to us. And that's what your friends do, by the way. You know, see, when you have money, you have half friends coming out of the, out of the, the pictures in the wall. When you, have, when you have money, you'll have friends that you never even knew you had. It's like when you go to a funeral, everybody turns up. You haven't now hardly seen them before. You don't know who they are. And then you don't see them again until the next one. But when you have money, you'll have friends And this man here was stripped of everything and not one could help him. He had no hope left and no friends and no fellowship. But Christ comes along and he rescues him. You see, where there's life, there's hope. But where there is no life and this life will soon be past, then there's no hope left because you're not half dead. You're just dead. There's a point that on the man wants to die. But after this, the judgment. In Isaiah 43 and 3, and again, Matthew speaks of it in Matthew 12 and 20. He says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. A flax that is about to go out, and it's just a little smoldering, and the smoke will come up. It's the idea of it. And he takes it, He breathes on it. He breathes upon it. Notice this. The bruised reed was used as an instrument, like a little flute. That's what it means. They used to carve little holes in them, but once it was bruised, it was no use to play anymore. It is impossible to produce a melody from a bruised reed. And hence all would throw away, but that which Christ comes to take those who are like the bruised reed does not discard nor throw away, but rather Christ brings in and helps and heals. Notice, the smell of a smoking flax is unendurable. 
And such was even Israel and Judah. Even today, if I can call it the apostate, backslidden church. If there's a bit of life in it, they turn to Christ, then they can start a fire in it. A dead church, a Christless church, a bloodless gospel, if they turn again to Christ and preach the blood and the book, God will blow on it, God will breathe on it, and he will bring healing to it. And where there's a spark, there's a chance of revival fire. It can be said about your life, and it can be said about my life. Where there is even a spark, there's chance of revival fire. A certain man was half dead, but yet half alive, and sinners are dead to God, yet alive to self. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Notice, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what Paul was saying? I used to be dead, half dead, and I thought I was half alive. I was living my life, but I was dead to God. He says, now I'm dead and living to God. That Christ changes your life around, your desires around. You see, we're, there's many who are they're living. God has afforded them life, but they're dead to God. They're half dead. And then there are you and I who are saved and washed by faith in his blood and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and we are dying to self. We are trying to be dead to self, but alive unto God. So no longer could it be said of us since we are in Christ and since we have come to the cross, no longer can it be said he left us, it left us half dead, but we can't say we are half alive. We are alive in Christ and we are dead to self. And so Paul says in verse 21, notice this word he uses, I do not frustrate the grace of God. It's a strange word, isn't it? I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, when we go back to this lawyer who came, remember he was a lawyer of the rabbinical law, a lawyer of the Mosaic law, and he was thinking of the law must be, I keep the law and I am saved. But really, he realizes he can't keep the law. He tries to justify himself to deflect. Jesus says, what does the law say? How do you read it? And he starts saying, well, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says, you've answered right, so you're reading it right. Can you do it? And we looked at it last week, how it was impossible for him to do it. But then he deflected. That's what people do, you know. They deflect their sin. They deflect their responsibility. But who is my neighbor? Trying to deflect it. Many times I've witnessed to people, whether it was in the street or in their homes or wherever, we're trying to get them over the line to persuade men and women to come to Christ, and they start deflection. 
Like, who is my neighbor? Like this man says. And they start deflecting. See, Adam, when the fall of the garden, he started this after his fall. Listen to what he says to the Lord. He says, the woman that you gave to me, she made me eat it. He's deflecting his responsibility before God. He's deflecting his headship of the sovereignty of creation. The woman that you gave to me, God, it's your fault. Woman, it's your fault. She took of the tree and gave it to me. But the responsibility lay with Adam. No matter what he tried to justify, like this lawyer tries to justify himself, Adam tries to justify himself. You see, the responsibility lays with you. The responsibility is your responsibility. It's like old Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, sin is a brat that nobody wants to own. Sin is a brat that nobody wants to own. He gives a, the idea of a child that is spoiled. I've given it before myself. Or, you know, sometimes you see somebody with a child in the shop and they want to lift every sweet in the rack. <laughs> and when they don't get it and the mommy or daddy sat in it back again and they're trying to come on, they refuse to come and all of a sudden they're on the, they're on the ground or on the deck and they're kicking and they're squealing and they're all over the place and, and you can see the mommy and daddy looking and sort of doing this. Walking away, trying to distance themselves. And you know, they can distance themselves up the shop a bit, but here's the truth in it. The truth in it is this. No matter how they try to distance themselves and pretend that that child isn't theirs, that's their responsibility. That's your child. And as Sarge Haddon Spurgeon says, sin is a brat that nobody wants to own. That's not my sin, Lord the woman which you gave to me, she took it and then gave it to me. It's her fault or else yours. Sort of right between you. The Lord says, no, it's you. The responsibility lies with the man and the woman and this lawyer tries to deflect it. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He knew he was guilty from the start. And even as Paul says in Galatians 2 and 21, he says, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ has died in vain. And if you or I could be saved by keeping the law of God, if you and I could be saved by doing good works, alms and deeds and charities and so on and such, if you and I could be saved by these things, if you and I could be saved by good parenting or if you and I could be saved by being a good grandmother or a good grandfather and such and so on and so on. If you and I could be saved by going to church, by trusting in our denomination. If you and I could be saved by the sprinkling of, of water uh, upon the head of a baby. If you and I could be saved by that, then Christ has died in vain. He didn't need to die. If you and I could be saved by our works, we needed to work harder. We needed to go longer. Our Christ has died in vain, so we do not frustrate the grace of God. Notice this. 
the word frustrate. It's the word athatio. Listen to what it means, to set aside, throw aside the grace of God. What do you mean the grace? It means that you've received salvation without doing anything. Grace, the word charis in the Greek New Testament for grace has this meaning. It is the divine influence upon one's heart. The divine influence upon one's heart on this reflection in one's life. In other words, if you have been saved by grace, it reflects in your life, your lifestyle, your thoughts, your, your desires, your wants, how you conduct yourself. The things that you like in life changes because grace has entered into the man and the woman and it reflects out. Your speech changes. Your mind changes. Your words change. Sure, before you were saved, did you ever want to be in church on a Sunday night when the sun's shining? Before you were saved, did you ever think that you'd be here singing songs and clapping your hands or whatever you're doing? Was you ever a thought that you'd be here? And the answer is absolutely not. But what happened was, Christ came. There was this certain Samaritan. He came into our lives and changes us. See, if there's no change in the life, there's no Christ in the life. And if there's no Christ in the life, you'll see no change in the life. This frustrate the grace of God means to set aside or to disannul. Listen to what it means. To act towards anything as though it were annulled. Now listen. It means to thwart the efficacy of anything. That's important. Paul is saying we do not frustrate the grace of God or we do not thwart the efficacy of God's grace. Now, if you wonder what the word efficacy means, it means the ability to produce a desired result. Paul is saying I do not frustrate or we do not neglect, we do not put aside, we do not because we, have the, we want the ability of the efficacy of grace. In other words, what God has set forth to do, how God has set forth to save us through the blood of Christ, through the death and the burial and the resurrection of His Son, how God has set it forth that we receive it without giving, without doing, without trying. By grace are you saved through faith. There's a divine influence comes on the heart and the efficacy is that it has a produced effect that God wants in the life. God-driven, the unction of the Holy Ghost brings us on to Christ. It changes the man and woman from the inside out to desire the things of God. My desire is for Christ. My desire is for the Word of God. My desire is to hear and sing about the blood about forgiveness of sin, the mercy found in him. See, the desires change. Oh, the man who sat in the old shabines, the man who sat in the stupor, the man who sat in the drug-fueled dens, the man who got up to all sorts of things that he should never have got up to, but yet forgiven and washed and covered and cleansed in the blood, the efficacy of the grace of God was that produces the effect that God demands in the life. 
Anything short of it, you are frustrating and setting aside the grace of God. And sometimes we need this to help us as Christians to understand this. To understand this. Because sometimes you feel, I'm just not able and I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not able. You're right, you're not good enough. That's why he loves you and you're under his grace. You're living in grace. I'll have to get all reverent again here. Hold on a second. Become more of a minister. Speak properly. This man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now Jericho from Jerusalem is about 18 miles, roughly. Some say 17, some say close to 20, about 18 miles. The 18 miles was a, a day's journey on foot. Some walking, isn't it? 18 miles is about a day's journey. Jerusalem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level. It's a city on a hill that cannot be hid, you see. And with the big temple there and, and the, the, the eastern sun would come up and it had this, the gold and the splendor of it. The sun would rise in the east and shine across and hit the gold. It would shine all over the place. That's why Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus says that a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Speaking of those who are in Christ in you, Jerusalem, you and me. That we're meant to shine even brighter than this Jerusalem is in the presence of God, in the presence of the King. Take note of this. Jerusalem's 2,500 feet above sea level. And Jericho, if you come down the mountain onto the land at sea level, Jericho goes under sea level. And it is about 825 feet below sea level. The man went down. Isn't that powerful how the Holy Spirit puts that in? I think that's mighty. Little things like that just thrill my soul. This man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Holy Ghost says, you know, here's the highest of heights and here's the lowest of lows. Here's the depths. This man goes down. In other words, from Jerusalem to Jericho, one day's journey, 18 miles, and it's about 3,325 feet downwards from there to there, Jerusalem to Jericho. Think about this. 3,325 feet between the Jerusalem going down to sea level and then on land under sea level, below sea level. Here he travels and goes down almost 3,325 feet where he meets the robbers somewhere along the way in a day's journey. You know what this tells me? This tells me of you and I as human beings need to be careful every day how we travel every day, how we walk every day, where we go every day, how quick a day can change a life, how, day, how one day can throw a family into disarray, throw a family into turmoil and heartache and hardship. One day's journey done it to this man. And one day, one day can change you not only for good if you're not in Christ, for the bad, 
<laughs> Scriptures tell us, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a... Shout it out. Come on, Christian, shout it out. You shout louder or not. Come on. You hear me shouting? A what? A day may bring forth. At least you were shouting, Leon. I heard you. Good girl. <laughs> Thank you. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day can bring forth. This man left Jerusalem, started traveling down this dangerous path, thinking, well, this, uh, it looks like the grass is greener in Jericho, but Jericho was known as the city of the curse. The cursed world. You can read that in Joshua 6. We haven't time to go into it if you're taking notes. But you know, you know what Jericho means? It's known as the cursed city. You know what the name means? It means a couple of things. It means the place of fragrance abounding in balsam, honey and roses. Isn't that lovely? Cursed Jericho. How attractive does the world make things seem? When you have advertisements with their frosted glasses and the beer pouring over it, and man sitting there with their tongues hanging out like their shoe leather, drawing you in. Drawing you in. It's only one of them. Jericho means place of fragrance, abounding in balsam, honey, and roses. And in the Arabic, it means a city of the moon. How the nighttime changes a lifetime. How a nighttime changes a lifetime. This place of fragrance, abounding in balsam and honey and roses, so enticing to the man on the who leaves the presence, the beautiful presence. I don't get it. I know it sounds beautiful and I know it sounds lovely and I know it, they put it out there as if everything's wonderful and as I said, the grass is greener and everything's just perfect and you can come and partake and, you know, the music's good and the, you know, and the feeling's great and, and the company and, and they're all sitting there laughing and joking. They're all miserable. In Jericho, they're miserable. But it looks like it smells of lovely fragrance and balsam and roses and flowers because it needs to attract you. Because it needs to attract you. Just talking to some people this afternoon, actually about this verse, I just mentioned it to them. In Genesis 3 and verse 6, listen to what it says, and when the woman, that is Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. <laughs> oh, this tree looks good. It's a place of fragrance, and you know, it's the roses and the flowers, and Jericho looks so enticing. You know, you're sitting there, and maybe you're thinking, I can miss me own mates. I had good mates, I tell you, I had good mates, but I'm going to tell you something. My good mates were taking me to hell. 
I had good mates, but my good mates were taking me to hell. I had faithful mates, friends, but they were taking me to hell. I had things that happened and they would never, none of us between ourselves would ever open our mouths about it. We could trust one another. We could rely on one another. We could, we know that wouldn't go any further. But they were taking me to hell and I was taking them too. It looks good. Good fruit, good to eat. And Jericho looked good. The depraved, fallen, fleshy, carnal nature and heart of man will rebel against God, will reject his holiness and walk away from his calling and his will. And it will refuse his sanctuary. See, when people start to miss the meetings and gather with God's people, Look, I know going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I've said that many a time. See, when people start forsaking the assembling of themselves together as a manner of some is, and they stop coming for a long period of time, I, if I say to them, well, you know, you should be out, they think it's just the pastor giving off, and sure, you just want another seat filled, and that's it, and so on and so on. Now I can tell you, I'm trying to shepherd the soul. I'm trying to strengthen the heart. I'm trying to keep the faith alive in them. You see, there's a spark only in some and there's a smoke. And that's all I can see. They're like a smoking flex. And that's all I can see. But I see it and I'm trying to blow on it. I'm trying to blow on it. I'm trying to say to them, come on. Get up and out. Get moving. Get into the place of prayer and fellowship, and Bible reading, and the presence of God, go to Jerusalem again. And when a man and a woman keeps continually missing the presence of the Lord and fellowship with his people, as the word tells us to, I can see in them that they are refusing the sanctuary, their heart is waning and some sort of draw of a Jericho is calling them. And they can make excuses and say all they want and try to make it seem right and, and try and put it down that they know what they're doing. And, but I can tell you, friend, brothers and sisters, I've seen it over 20 years and 20 years of pastoring. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. I have seen it. A certain man, better round this up. <clears throat> so much to go through here, I'll round it up. A certain man who travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's something else that I realized, I hadn't seen it before. I thought it was beautiful that the Lord wasn't going to tell all of his business. He wasn't going to name him and shame him. He wasn't going to tell all of his business. He says, there's a certain man. You know why? Because that certain man was me. That certain man was you. That certain woman was you. And he doesn't name us and he doesn't shame us. All oh, people will name you and shame you. Of course they do. They'll try to find the worst in you and the worst for you. And they will say all manner of evil against you. But God does not. Name and shame. A certain man, he says, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Isn't it great to know that our God covers all our sins? Isn't it great to know that a past lifestyle wasted and ruined, shameful and naked, battered and bruised and beaten, half dead, he doesn't bring it up to us. He doesn't tell anybody else about it. He doesn't publish it in the, uh, in the heavenly times. He doesn't take it to the heavenly telegraph and the heavenly social media and tell everybody about it. He doesn't go to the nearest and the dearest and the angels of God in heaven to say, listen about this man. Listen about this woman and what they have done and how they have acted and the things they've got up to. There's shame on them. He does not. But a certain Samaritan came to where he was. He came to me. He came to me. He even says a certain priest, and then he mentions a Levite. In other words, I'm not even going to tell on them. (laughs) Because when God washes you in the blood of his son, I'll tell you, He throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, puts them behind his back. Never to be remembered again. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, he says. So this man fell among thieves. Here's what I've written. Grace seeks misery. (laughs) Try and get this if you can. Grace seeks misery and love desires company. Grace of God came and sought out the misery of the man and the man in the misery. The grace of God seeks out misery, miserable wretches and miserable creatures. Miserable men and miserable women, miserable sinners, and grace seeks misery. But love, love desires company. He loves us and he wants our company. He doesn't, he gives the grace not looking anything in return. It seeks you in your misery to bless and to lift us up out of it and to help us, but his love, his love. It just looks for company. These thieves, could it be? Matthew 27 and verse 35, could it be this? A picture of how Christ takes our place. They parted my garments and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Verse 38, Then were there two thieves crucified with him. The one on the left and the other on the right. Christ was crucified among the thieves. So man, he went down and he was stripped and he was beaten and he's left half dead of thieves. I'll take your place. I'll take your place. My grace seeks misery. My love looks your your, your company, and listen, I'll go in where you were. That's what Christ has done on the cross for us. We should have been there, miserable 
and beaten and half naked, but he takes our place and he came and he took our place among two thieves. Here's something for you if you're taking notes, just for, just for the matter of looking quickly through this. In verse 13 to 15 of Luke chapter 10, Notice the downward trend of this chapter. Verse 15, And thy Capernaum which art exalted to heaven shall be thrust down to hell. Capernaum exalted to heaven because Christ's ministry, his headquarters, as it were, was in Capernaum. The miracles and the signs and the wonders and the teachings that Christ did was in Capernaum. And his presence lifted Capernaum up, as it were, to heaven's. But then they reject him and he says, now you'll be thrust down into hell. See the downward trend in the same chapter? Verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from, fallen from heaven. Here he falls from heaven to the earth. The downward trend in the same chapter. Verses 25 to 29 and verse 26. He says to this man, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Here's the law, the highest of God's heavens, the word of God. How are you reading it? And then in verse 29, we have the hopeless and the helpless falling to great depths, but he willing to justify himself, falling down. Then a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. So I said I would do this before, and this is just, I've taught on this in depth, Five minutes, okay? First of all, he came where he was in verse three. Notice he came where he was and had compassion on him. Verse 34, pardon me, 33, verse 34. Notice, so he comes to where he is. The priest was where he was and crosses over. The Levite crosses over and goes on. And the, but the certain Samaritan comes to where he is. He comes to where he is. It means a vicinity. But then he comes personally to him. Nothing like the personal touch of Christ. Notice this. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. The oil is the spirit of the Holy Spirit. The wine is a symbol. Uh, the symbol of the Holy Spirit and the wine is the symbol of Christ's precious blood. He set him on his own beast. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him and he gave two pence for his caretaking. Salvation is off the Lord. He done it all. He done it all. Christ done it all. Listen, the man added nothing to his rescue. The man added nothing to his salvation except his miserable state that he was found in. That's all he had to offer, his miserable state. What did I have to offer? My miserable condition, my miserable state, the miserable man with misery of sin on my Jericho road. So here's some verses for you. I want to show you. Second coming is in this, you know that. But here's prophecy for you, Okay? The man brings him to an inn, speaking of assembly and fellowship, church fellowship. That's why it's important that you're there. In verse 34, brings him to an inn. Notice, 
Luke 10 and verse 35, he takes out two pence and gives it to the innkeeper. Verse 34, he takes out, pardon me, verse 35, he takes out two pence and gives it to the innkeeper. And notice what he says. At the end of verse 35, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again. He says, I'm coming back again. When I come again, I will repay thee. Now notice, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now he gives them two pence. If it's over any that I owe you, I will repay you when I come back. Now note this. In Matthew chapter 20, verses one and two, the Lord Jesus tells a parable and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto an, a man that is an householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Vineyard is, he says, the house of Israel was his vineyard in the Old Testament. Notice, out into the vineyard. Verse two, and when he had agreed with the laborers a penny a day. What's the wages? A penny a day. He sent them into his vineyard. Two pence is a penny a day, which says two days. Second Peter chapter three and verse eight, Peter says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So two days in heaven is like 2,000 years on earth. The man is given two pence for two days. Two days are 2,000 years. Jesus went to heaven and he says, here's two pence to the church. When I return, when I come again, if I owe you aught, I will repay you. Jesus said he's coming back because the two pence is spent. But if I owe you anything else, in other words, after that time, I will repay you. There's a certain man who was on the Jericho Road but a certain Samaritan knew all about him. And he came and he bound up his wounds, put him on his beast and brought him to the end. He says, here, look after him. When I come back, if I owe you any more than the two pence, I'll repay you. Caroline, will you come up and play? He poured in the oil and the wine. Come on up, team with her. Come on up with her and help her. He poured in. Remember last week we were singing this? You were on the Jericho Road and he poured in the oil and the wine. Let's remember where God has brought us from. He's put us, as it were, on his beast. Our salvation is all of him and he's coming again. And if you're not saved, then you must be born again. You're on the Jericho Road. The loves and the life out there of the world that is holding you will destroy you eventually and take you to a devil's hell. You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, the scripture says. Today, not tomorrow, for we don't know there's a day's journey and this happened in a day's journey. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's why it's the urgency of it.
He knew not what the day will bring forth for any of us. 